Psalm 104 this evening. Would you stand with me? Now, this psalm is a little bit longer than what we've been going through. It's 35 verses. Uh, we will be able to get this through uh, without any issues, I am sure. Uh, but what we're going to do is read, let's read the first nine verses, and then we'll go ahead and sit and we'll go through the study together. The first nine verses of Psalm 104, and I am reading out of the New King James Version of God's Word. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? We saw that in the last psalm. O Lord my God, you are very great. You're clothed with honor and majesty, who cover yourself with light as with a garment, who stretch out the heavens like a curtain, who lays the beams of his upper chambers in the waters, who makes the clouds his chariot, who walks on the wings of the wind who makes his angels spirits, his ministers, a flame of fire. You who laid the foundations of the earth so that it should not be moved forever, you covered it with the deep as with a garment. The waters stood above the mountains. At your rebuke, they fled at the voice of your thunder. They hastened away. They went up over the mountains. They went down into the valleys to the place which you founded for them. You've set a boundary that they may not pass over, that they may not return to cover the earth. And Father, as we look at these verses and all these verses in this psalm, Lord, might you pour your spirit out upon us, Lord, to give us understanding, to know how these verses apply to other areas of your scripture, your, your truth, and how we can apply these truths to our own lives, even as we praise you along with the psalmist here, as we worship you along with the psalmist in regard to your greatness and majesty as displayed in your creation. God, be with us tonight. Have your way in our hearts. Lord, might we see Jesus tonight? Might we glorify him in all things? And we ask it in his precious and holy name. Amen. You guys may be seated. Well, as we see looking at this psalm, there is no inscription given there. You know, as I mean, most of our Bibles and in my Bible under each one of the psalms, it's got what the publishers would use to entitle the psalm somehow. And you probably got that in your Bible, too. Mine, mine says a psalm rehearsing creation. That's what it says. Others might say something like a song in praise of God for his creation or something along that line. Uh, but that's not a part of God's word. That's just a comment by the publisher. But if there's an inscription, that is a part of God's word. But there's none here. As with the last one, remember, the inscription was a psalm of David in Psalm 103. Here, there is no inscription. So we have no sense of who wrote it based on the inscription or what it might be written because of, although with the, the content of this psalm, we can see that it's a psalm that is praising God and honoring him uh, for creation. Um, I, I've got an, an, another uh, suggestion for a title, Praise to the Sovereign Lord for His Creation and Providence. So th that's, the, that's the basic gist of what this 
psalm is all about. And we can see that as we go through it, as we've read the first nine verses together, as we go through this, through this we're going to be able to see that. In terms of an author, well, again, the inscription says nothing because there is none. But the Septuagint, which is the Greek version of the Old Testament, which was uh, penned uh, around 200 B.C., um, the Septuagint assigns this psalm to David. And we have no reason to disagree with that. In fact, I would say that since Psalm 103 was written by David, and that psalm begins the exactly the same way as this one, Bless the Lord, O my soul, that would make me believe that it indeed is David who wrote this psalm. Um, again, the topic being um, the, uh, the greatness of God or praise to our God, praise to our Lord for uh, uh, the way that he is demonstrated, made manifest in the works that he's done, creation in particular. Now, Charles Spurgeon wrote this, the whole, the whole of this psalm lies before us as a panorama of the universe viewed by the eye of devotion. Oh, for grace to render due praise unto the Lord while reading it. And, and, and as we do read this, we do have to keep in mind the reality of God in creation, the reality of his creation of all things. In fact, we could, I, I would suggest that you guys go back to the book of Genesis chapter 1. Keep a finger here or a marker of some kind and go back to Genesis chapter 1 and we're going to, we're going to be able to see how many of the how, the, how these verses just kind of go through um, a couple verses of, uh, uh, at a time of the creation story as written by Moses in Genesis chapter 1. For example, as we, as we begin here, the very first verse really is just simply nothing more, nothing less than praise to God for who he is. Bless the Lord, O my soul, verse 1. O Lord, my God, you are very great. You're clothed with honor and majesty. But then beginning in the following verses, we see uh, Genesis 1 and 2 portrayed in poetic form. And that goes throughout this psalm. So we, we can kind of go back and forth in relation to that. But looking at this fir first verse, again, you know, bless the Lord, O my soul. Last week as we looked at that, you know, the idea of blessing the Lord simply means to praise him with affection and gratitude. We, we, we talked about that last week. Uh, but once again, we can revisit the idea of we as human beings blessing the Lord. It is totally different than what we consider when we ask the Lord to bless us because it is the greater who blesses the lesser, right? We can't bless him by giving him something that he doesn't already have. But we can bless him with a life of praise, praising him with devotion, praising him with thanksgiving, with affection, with, 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 with gratitude. So those are the things in, in, re, in relation to bless. You know, um, bless the Lord, O my soul. So it's just the idea of living a life that is uh, one which praises him. Now David adds, adds, adds a little bit of a personal touch here in this first verse. He says, O Lord my God, 
you are very great. My God, he calls him. You know, as we read the words of Scripture, that is something that I think is important for us to always keep in mind. This isn't just God who's speaking. It isn't just God who's revealing himself to us. Of course, it is God, but he's your God and my God, isn't he? He's our God. Oh, Lord, my God. Those, those, that's something that all of us should be saying from time to time. In fact, on a fairly regular basis, at least daily, just acknowledging that this God that we have to deal with, that we have to, to, to do with in terms of who he is and the way he deals with mankind, what he's done for us, all of his goodness and kindness he's shown us, the love that he's, he's made, made manifest in our lives or toward us through giving us his son. This is my God. And each one of you sitting in your seat right now ought to be able to say that, that this is my God and it is my God that I praise. He's not just God. He's not just the one and true living God. Yeah, all those things. But your God. See him as your own God, even as we see David doing here. And then we see him uh, speaking of him being very great, being clothed with honor and majesty. So, so, so basically, this proclamation of God's greatness, God's honor, and God, God's majesty given by David as he begins this psalm. The first part of verse 2 is similar to that, who cover yourself with light as with a garment. Another aspect of who he is, he is light. And so th these four things here, uh, greatness, honor, majesty, and light, are all familiar characteristics of who God is. We see this in plenty of other places within the scriptures uh, as, as a part of, uh, of description uh, of the character uh, and, and the traits of God being these things. In terms of light as a garment, I want to read out of Daniel chapter 7, verses 9 and 10. I think Daniel touches on this as he describes this time with the Lord. He says in verse 9, I watched till thrones were put in place, and the Ancient of Days was seated. He's having a view of heaven here. His garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head was like pure wool, very consistent with what we see John writing in Revelation chapter 1. And it, it, it's cool to kind of go back and forth between some passages like that. His throne was a fiery flame, its wheels a burning fire. Did you guys know that God's throne had wheels? That's what it says right here. His throne was a fiery flame, its wheels a burning fire. A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. A thousand thousands ministered to him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated and the books were opened. It's seen in heaven. Kind of a similar scene to what we see in, in, in Revelation chapter 1, uh, chapter 3 and 4 as he's being worshipped and the, and the myriads of hosts that are there are, are worshipping and bowing before him. But this idea of his garment as white as snow, he has clothed himself with light as a garment. And so this consistent description of the brightness of the glory of God as a light. 
Now, one thing that we recall is that even as we look at this poetic description of uh, creation, you know, one of the things we see here is that the moon and the sun are mentioned, but in the new heaven and new earth, there will be no light in the sky, moon, stars, or sun, because the very glory of God himself produces the light. And it's always going to be light. It's never going to get dark. It's always going to be light, never dark, because God is there. And I might add, as we are there with him, we will be there with our new bodies, which are fitted for eternity, new bodies which are fitted for that very thing of being able to be in the presence of God in all of his glory. And it's just going to be tremendous. But th those new bodies that we will have, we will worship him in those bodies fitted for eternal, the eternal presence of God and the brightness of his glory. And it's so bright you can't stand it, but we'll be able to in those bodies. And these we couldn't. We wouldn't. We would die. But those bodies will be fitted. It makes you wonder, well, well what are our eyes going to be like? What kind of eyes are we going to have in order that will withstand that incredible brightness of his glory? I don't know. I don't know. It's going to be different, though. Yeah, I know. You know, it's like just it, it, sometimes these descriptions of, of heaven bring more questions than answers, you know. Uh, but there, but honestly, there's not a whole lot of said about heaven. There's a, a few passages. We looked at a couple already this evening. But let's go ahead and move on. Let's move on. Now, the second portion of verse 2, we, we see the beginning of what we see in creation, verses 1 and 2 in Genesis chapter 1. Excuse me, actually, days 1 and 2 is what I mean in, in uh, Genesis chapter 1 which basically come from cover verses 3 through um, three through 8 on the first and second day. But let's go ahead and read 3 through 6 here. I'm, I'm sorry, 2 through 6 in Psalm 104. Again, who cover yourself with light as with a garment, who stretch out the heavens like a curtain. He lays the beams of his upper chambers in the waters, who makes the clouds his chariot, who walks on the wings of the wind, who makes his angels spirits, his ministers a flame of fire. You who laid the foundations of the earth so that it should not be moved forever, you covered it with the deep as with a garment. The waters stood above the mountains. Now if we read those verses uh, 3 through 8 in Genesis 1, then God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness, and God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, so the evening and the morning were the first day. We always need to take note that God said, let there be light, and there was light long before, well, a few days before he created the sun and the moon. So, the light initially does not come from the moon. In fact, light 
excuse me, from the sun. God created the light, and it was there before the sun was created. Verse 6, Then God said, Let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from the waters. And so at that point, uh, well, well, let's read, finish reading through 8. Thus God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament, and it was so. And God called the firmament heaven, for the he- evening and the morning were the second day. Waters above, waters belief, uh, be below. And so just some of those things had to do with creation as we see here in these particular verses. Now, as we look at verses 3 and 4 here, again in Psalm 1, 1, 104, uh, laying the beams of his upper chambers uh, in, the wa- in the waters, the waters above, right? Above the firmament, making the clouds his chariot. He walks on the wings of the wind, some poetic ways of describing God's dwelling place in the heavens. Um, and, and a comment there in verse 4, who makes his angels spirits, his ministers a flame of fire. Now, in Hebrews chapter 1, the writer of the Hebrews quotes this verse, Psalm 104.4, in verse 7, in Hebrews chapter 1, and then he writes in the 14th verse of Hebrews 1, Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation? You know, and it's from that that we get the idea of guardian angels, right? Sent here to protect us. I've shared this with you before, but my wife always was telling me, honey, you sure keep your guardian angel busy. You know, just just things that I would do, dropping things and stepping on things and cutting my finger with, I mean, mean, with instruments that aren't supposed to be used for fingers and things of that nature, or whatever it might be, you know, uh, setting my glasses down and stepping on them, you know, with bare feet, by the way. A- any, anyway, um, yeah. I'm thankful for the angels that God has given to us to protect us. And then verse 5 and 6, we see consistent with what we read out of Genesis as well. You who laid the foundations of the earth so that it should not be moved forever. You who covered it with a deep as with a garment, the water stood above the mountains. And so we see that the, the situation there ends in the second day with the waters there the firmament between the waters below and above. And then in the third day, let's go ahead and read verse um, verse 9 through 13 in Genesis chapter 1. Not out of Psalm 104, but in Genesis chapter 1. Then God said, Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land earth, and the, ga- and the gathering together of the waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the earth bring forth grass, the herb that yields seed, and the fruit that yields food according to its kind, and whose seed is in itself on the earth, and it was so. And the earth brought forth grass, the herb that yields seed according to its kind, and the tree that yields fruit whose seed is in itself according to its kind, and God saw that it was good, so the evening and the morning were the third day. By the way, have you ever wondered why it always says in the, the, mor- or the evening and the morning were the first day rather than the morning and the evening? 
Well, we have things kind of backwards, the way that we have our thoughts. And in, uh, in Israel, among the Jews, and when we see the scriptures talking about the day and so forth, the day actually begins at 6 p.m. and ends at 6 p.m. the next day. So if we were in Israel right now, 7.46 p.m., we would be on Thursday already. It would be Thursday. But that's why it says the morning and the, or the, the evening and the, and, and the morning were the first day. But according to what God says there, that's how uh, the, the Jews formed their, their time. That we do 12, 12 a.m. to 12 a.m. rather than 6 p.m. to 6 p.m. like they do. Just a difference. Something that we need to understand sometimes when we're looking at scriptures and, you know, the in, in the third hour of the day and so forth, uh, the, the ninth hour of the day, but it was the day for the, I mean, you're just able to keep track in that way, but it, it's just an interesting thing to, to, keep, to take note of. Okay, now let's go over to Psalm 104. And basically, verses 7 through 18 deal with this third day that we saw. Now, what was created? The land, and then all of plant life, right? That was the third day. Verse 7, at your rebuke they fled. What fled? Well, the waters fled, so the, the, the land appeared, Right? At, rebu- at your rebuke they fled. At the voice of your thunder they hastened away. They went up over the mountains. They went down into the valleys to the place which you founded for them. You have set a boundary that they may not pass over, that they may not return to cover the earth. He, sets, he sends the springs into the valleys. They flow among the hills. They give drink to every beast of the field. The wild donkeys quench their thirst. By them the birds of the heavens have their home. They sing among the branches. He waters the hills from his upper chambers. The earth is satisfied with the fruit of your works. He causes the grass to grow for the cattle and the vegetation for the service of man, that he may bring forth food from the earth and wine that makes glad the heart of man, oil to make his face shine, and bread which strengthens man's heart. The trees of the Lord are full of sap, the cedars of Lebanon, which he planted, where the birds make their nests. The stork has her home in the fir trees. The high hills are for the wild goats. The cliffs are a refuge for the rock badgers. So the psalmist here poetically describes day three of creation, but he adds a lot to it here in, in talking about you know, the, the, the purposes for which these things are created, the, the animals and even man uh, who are all serviced by the reality of the existence of plant life, for example, and, and even parts of the land at the end there, verses, uh, uh, verse 18, the high hills are for the wild goats, the cliffs are, are a refuge for uh, the rock badgers. Um, and it's just a description of those many things. Um, if we go to Proverbs 8, verses 29 to 31, we, we, we see here some verses that 
speak about the wisdom of God in his creation. In fact, Proverbs 8 is a chapter which personifies wisdom, and wisdom is speaking to us in this psalm. So verse 29 and 30. When he, now, now we see wisdom speaking about God. When he assigned to the sea its limit, so that the waters would not transgress his command. We saw that in verse 9 here in Psalm 104. When he marked out the found, me, yeah, when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him, wisdom beside him, as a master craftsman, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing always before him, rejoicing in his inhabited world, and my delight was with the sons of men. So, so that psalm paints the picture of wisdom and the value of wisdom, personifying it, speaking to us about how he was with God during this particular portion of scripture there in Proverbs 8, during this creation, setting the limits, the boundaries for the waters. Now, we, we hear a lot today about global warming and the, the, the threat of global warming causing the seas to rise to a point that it's going to be destroying cities and so forth. You know, God has set his boundaries. Now, um, I'm not too worried about the um, level of the ocean rising an inch or two over a few decades. You know, the, the alarmists will tell us that, you know, if this keeps up in a couple thousand years, the earth is going to be destroyed. Well, I've got news for them. It's going to be destroyed long before that. Long before that. Because Jesus is going to be coming back. He's going to judge the world. We're going to have a, a, a thousand years reigning with him. But then after that, it's going to be destroyed by God. We're just going to have a new heaven. I mean, the earth is going to be burned. It's not going to be flooded. God has made that promise that water would not flood and destroy the earth. Every time we see a rainbow, we're reminded of that promise, right? That's, that is the, 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 uh, the sign of his covenant that he made with mankind. And with all the earth, really. He will not destroy the earth through flood. But it will be destroyed through fire. You know, Peter writes, that, uh, writes about that in Second Peter. Uh, but we're going to have a new heaven and a new earth. And we will be worshiping him forever in the brightness of his glory. No night ever. You know, I mean, those things are, 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 are very, very real. But, you know, God has set the boundaries, and they're not going to be moved until he establishes a time that they'll be moved. But he has told us he will not allow waters to flood the earth again. So don't worry about that. Don't be worried. You know, it is... A part of what I'm going to be talking about a little bit later in relation to some of the issues of science, which are not really science, but called science, evolution theory, called science, you know, these are just a bunch of very intelligent people wanting to ignore God and professing to be wise, they became fools, even as Romans chapter 1 writes about. We're going to be reviewing some of that a little bit later. We also see here in these verses 
In verses 10 to 13, um, rivers and springs beginning to flow. Verses 10 to 13 here in Psalm 104. I guess I need to make sure that we're in Psalm 104 rather than Genesis 1, right? Um, yeah, sp- uh, springs and rivers are, are formed. And, and, and he, he writes about the various things and the reasons for them, the, the blessing, blessing that they give his creation, which has not yet been created, but will be. You know, animal life will be created uh, not on the third day, but on the following day. So um, th- this is a part of what we see here. Um, rain is described. He waters the hills, verse 13. He waters the hills from his upper chambers. The earth is satisfied with the fruit of your works. Now, the psalmist is writing, looking past to the fact that it rained on a reg- regular basis. You know, there would be the early rain and latter rain in, in Israel and so forth, right? At the time of, of creation, when creation was finished, it did not rain until chapter 6 of Genesis when the Lord brought the great flood at Noah's time. But the, wa- the earth was, was refreshed with water every night with the dew that fell. That, that's how that happened. You know, just the circulation of water, the water in the seas and the rivers and the lakes, they would evaporate because it was like a, a greenhouse effect kind of a thing. The water would rise and it would fall at night, and it was, it was just const- constantly going that way. It would rise up during the day, fall at night, rise up at the day, fall at night. And that, that's the way the, the ecosystem works in the sense of water uh, keeping, bringing refreshment to, uh, to the earth. That, that's how that worked then. But David writing saw things differently in terms of his own experience and rain. So he writes of God watering the hills to bring forth the grass so that it would feed the animals. That's what we see here. Um, Some people would call that kind of like the circle of life. But we we see the biblical nature of, of, of some of those truths. Jeremiah 10, verses 12 and 13. Jeremiah writing of the Lord, of course, he has made the earth by his power. He has established the world by his wisdom and has stretched out the heavens at his discretion. Some very familiar terms that we've been that we've been reading here tonight. When he utters his voice, there's a multitude of waters in the heavens and he causes the vapors to ascend from the ends of the earth. He makes lightning for the rain. He brings the wind out of his treasury. So uh, Jeremiah writing a little bit about the way that ecosystem worked in his day as the Lord gave him wisdom to do so. And then verses 14 to 18, we see the various ways that that rain brings growth to the grass and vegetation. There in 14, grass for cattle, vegetation for man, uh, food for the uh, from the earth and so forth, uh, and, and and the blessings that it brings, and and we just want to keep in mind here that at this time rain, rain did come earlier in Genesis until the sixth chapter. Again, it was a different kind of ecosystem that existed in that day. Now in verses uh, nineteen to twenty-three, we see. Uh, the psalmist here, David, in those verses, Psalm 104, 
writing about the creation of the sun and the moon. Verse 19, he appointed the moon for seasons. The sun knows it's going down. You make darkness and it is night in which all the beasts of the forest creep about. Young lions roar after their prey and seek their food from God. When the sun rises, they gather together and lie down in their dens. Man goes out to his work and to his labor until evening. Let's go back to Genesis 1 and look at verses 14 to 19. After the third day, this is day four, then God said, let there be lights in the, in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from the night and let them be for signs and seasons and for days and years and let them be for lights in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth and it was so. Then God made two great lights, the greater light to rule a day and the lesser light to rule a night. He made the stars also. God set them in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth and to rule over the day and over the night and to divide the light from the darkness, and God saw that it was good. So the evening and the morning were the fourth day. Here in this psalm, verses 19 to 23, we see again the, po the poetic use uh, of, of, of these words describing some of the things that take place during the night and some things that take place during the day. Uh, speaks about the lions and so forth. Again, by this time, uh, looking at the creation of the lights, not... Uh, um, Animals have not yet been created. That's going to be on, on day uh, five and six, actually, along with man on the sixth day. But we see the blessings that they bring to um, animals as well as man there in verses 19 to 23. Okay, let's move forward. Let's continue on. Verse 24 through verse 30. In these verses... Uh, we see basically days five and six of creation in poetic form. Let's first go to Genesis 1 and, and look at verses uh, 20 to 31. Verses 20 to 31 give us day five and then day six. Then God said, let the waters abound with abundance of living creatures. And let birds fly above the earth across the face of the firmament of the heavens. For God created sea creatures and every living thing that moves with which the waters abounded according to their kind and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters and the seas. Let birds multiply on the earth. So the evening and morning were the fifth day. So on that fifth day, the, the, the sea was filled with creatures and the skies were filled with birds. But nothing on the land yet. That comes on the sixth day. Let's go ahead and read verse 24 and forward. Then God said, Let the earth bring forth a living creature according to its kind, cattle and creeping thing and beasts of the earth, each according to its kind. And it was so. And God made the beast of the earth according to its kind, cattle according to its kind, and everything that creeps on the earth according to its kind. And so God saw that it was good. Verse 26, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, 
and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Hmm, that's interesting. Only two genders here. Just saying. Just saying. It's amazing how man can pervert truth in so many different ways. Verse 28, then God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, see, I've given you every herb that yields seed, which is on the face of all the earth and every tree whose fruit yields seed to you. It shall be for food. Also to every beast of the earth, to every bird of the air, and to everything that creeps on the earth in which there is life, I have given every green herb for food, and it was so. And in verse 31, then God saw everything that he had made, not just simply on the sixth day, but everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. First time we, we see very used. So the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Now, when we go over to Psalm 104, verses 24 through 30. O Lord, how manifold are your works. In wisdom you've made them all. The earth is full of your possessions. This great and wide sea, in which are innumerable teeming things, living things, both small and great, there the ships sail about. There is that le Leviathan which you have made to play there. These all wait for you that you may give them their food in due season. What you give them, they gather in. You open your hand, they are filled with good. You hide your face, they are troubled. You take away their breath, they die and return to their dust. You send forth your spirit, they are created, and you renew the face of the earth. Now, here we see mention of sea creatures, Leviathan even being a part of that. And we see also um, there in verses 27 and forward how he, he feeds those who are on, on, on the ground. But he also notes there that in, in these verses, verse, uh, verse 28, uh, Excuse me, verse 29. You hide your face, they're troubled. You take away their breath, and they die and return to their dust. Then verse 30, you send forth your spirit, they are created. Now, the word, the Hebrew word that is translated as breath there in verse 29, and then spirit in verse 30, it's the same word. And there's some translations that would translate verse 30 with you send forth your breath, they are created. That's the same word that was used back in Genesis chapter, uh, chapter 1, actually it's chapter 2, when it, when, it, when it describes God giving life to Adam, and, and God breathes his life into him. And the, the, word, the breath of God, is, it's the same Hebrew word. That, that can be uh, uh, translated as either spirit, it can be translated as breath, or it can be translated as wind, and is translated all three ways in the Old Testament in various places. But as we see this, again, 
verse 24, how manifold are your works and wisdom you've made them all. The earth is full of your possessions. Now, God already has alluded to the animals and so forth. He, he speaks about them here once again, particularly the sea creatures in verses 25 and 26. But all of his works, wisdom was used in the creation of all. And note that it says the earth is full of your possessions. Everything that he has made is his. You know, and we as, as believers, because we have, we, we acknowledge that, that Jesus went to that cross to redeem us. We've been redeemed by his blood. We've been purchased by his blood. We belong to him. We are not our own. But, but really, all belong to him because he made it. You know, if, if, you own a, if you own a business and you're a manufacturer of some kind, the things that you make belong to you until you sell them to somebody. Well, through sin, we walked away from God. We lost our standing with him. And he needed to redeem us back to himself through the blood of, of Christ, right? So, I mean, that, that, that's some of the issues that we have to deal with with that. But, you know, the, the, the manifold wisdom of God. Job 5.9 says, uh, speaking of God, who does great things and unsearchable, marvelous things without number, innumerable. Even as we see here in verse 25, and the, the sea with innumerable teeming things. Um, teeming is the word that, that, that speaks of filled to overflowing. You know, the sea is filled to overflowing. And, and you know, there is so much that has not even been discovered at the deepest depths of the oceans. I've got a hunch that Leviathan could be there. You know? I mean, there have been weird things going on, go, going on at times. And, you know, uh, there have been some strange-looking carcasses that have been pulled out of the ocean, you know, which could be, fit the description of this. Could. It's it just an interesting thing as, as we look at all the things that have gone on. Uh, we also see that in, in his wisdom, he created things. And I think that wisdom speaks about just the creative genius of God. You know, we, we talked about in Pro Proverbs 8, Proverbs 3, 19 and 20, says this, the, the Lord by wisdom founded the earth, by understanding he established the heavens, by his knowledge the depths were broken up and, and clouds dropped down the dew. And so all these things that we see mentioned here, and again, this, this Leviathan, one, one of the ways that that can be translated is, is w w by the word sea monster. Basically, that's what it could be translated as. We, it's, it's got that particular, the, the, the word is just uh, uh, translated this way, Leviathan, uh, from the, the, the Hebrew, but it could be uh, uh, a sea monster is indicated by it. But again, there's just so much that we, we simply don't know about the depths of the ocean, you know, and, and um, you know, we're working on discovering more and more, but it's a dangerous place down there. It's a dangerous place down there. 
you know, we're sending spacecraft to the farthest places in the universe as far as we can, and and also uh, sea craft that that can go to the depths. But you know, there's a water pressure problem when you get down there. You know, things tend to get crushed down there. So it is interesting stuff that that we see here. Verses 27 and 28 here. We see how God gives food uh, to the creatures that he has created. Uh, he gives them life. They're able to live through his, the, the breath that he gives to them. He takes their breath away. They die, verse 29. And yet he gives them breath or gives them his spirit or his breath. And I think both ways it can work. You know, God gives life. He's the giver of life. And he, he if he sends forth his spirit to give life to every living creature, I think he could do that. That could possibly apply. I have to, we have to be careful about saying, yeah, that's, how it, that's what that means. But, you know, it, it could work. But I, I, I think based on what we saw in verse 29, the idea of breath being taken away, breath being given, I think that is a good way to look at that there in verse 30. And so all of creation... Except for, we don't see anything said about the creation of man himself. But we do see that even as David wrote this, the representative of man in this creation poem, he's the one who wrote it. So the, you know, mankind is intimated, if you will, through the actual existence of the psalm itself because a man wrote it. So th th that's what we can find through these things that we're looking at here. Now in verses 31 through 35 we see the close of this psalm. Let's read those five verses. Nothing to relate to in terms of creation here. That, that's, that's all been poetically described here by David already. But now he wants to bring God glory for the reality of who he is and what he has done. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works. He looks on the earth and it trembles. He touches the hills and they smoke. I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have my being. Those are beautiful words. May my, may my meditation be sweet to him. I will be glad in the Lord. May sinners be consumed from the earth and the wicked be no more. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Praise the Lord. We see the psalm ends with these praises. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works. We are his work. We are his creation. I think a, a good way for us to to look at that last line there in verse 31, the idea, may, may the Lord rejoice in his works. May he rejoice in what he sees in us. You know, we, we can't add anything to him. We can't add any stature. We can't increase his love. We can't really even increase his joy. Yet might he be pleased with us. Now we live our lives in such a way that we actually praise him 
We live our lives worshiping him. You know, we were created to worship and praise him, weren't we? That's when we find our greatest fulfillment. Not through what we, the, the things that we have or the stature that we acquire in our culture, in our society, or, or the way other people even look at us or, 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 or the amount of people that we may be able to, to have under our rule or under our authority or, or having a good reputation or having a great family. I mean, a, a lot of these things are just wonderful, especially the great family part. But it is worshiping God with our lives that brings greatest fulfillment. And anyone who hasn't yet discovered that is going to try to find fulfillment in other ways. And it's fruitless to do so. Verse 32 reminds us of what we see in Genesis 19 at Mount Sinai. When Moses went up to Mount Sinai to, to, to get the, uh, the commandments, right? He's meeting with God up there, and, and the mountain was quaking, and there was smoke that was rising. You know, there was the thunder and the lightning and, and, and everything, and, and even the, the, the sound of the trumpets was sounding and everything. And, 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 and the people who stayed down, now God had commanded Moses to set a boundary so that they wouldn't step, step foot on that mountain. But when they saw all this stuff, they didn't want to be part of it anyway. I mean, they, they were just scared out of their shoes, or maybe I should say out of their sandals. You know, but, but they, 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 they truly were. But we, we see this. He looks on the earth, and it trembles. He touches the hills, and they smoke. You know, all of his creation has a sense of the power, the majesty, the holiness, the righteousness of God. And, you know, he touches the hills and, and, and they smoke. You know, I mean, th that's, a, that's a picture of what we see there in Exodus. You know, perhaps even going back to Exodus 3 when the, 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 the bush was burning, but it wasn't burning. It wasn't being consumed. You know, I mean, but it's a picture of the, the majesty and the holiness of of God. And I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I'll sing praise to my God while I have my being. May my meditation be sweet to him. I will be glad in the Lord. So both with singing and in our meditation, might we be faithful to give it to him. Might the, my meditation be sweet even unto him. Psalm 63, 4 says, Thus I will bless you while I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. As long as I live. These, these are such beautiful words. I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. Is that what's in your heart? Is that what's, I mean, I think we need to ask ourselves that question. Is that what's in my heart? God, I want to sing those praises as long as I live. How long am I going to live? Forever forever you know um, there will be no end because when, when my soul leaves this body it's going to go directly into the presence of Jesus Christ and I will continue to worship him right there totally in his presence without a veil you know and, and I'll see him for who he truly is 
He doesn't have to cover himself. You know, it, it, it's just going to be an amazing, an amazing thing being to him forever. And, and our, our, our meditation, Psalm 77, 12, I will also meditate on all your work and talk of your deeds. This meditation, you know, may my meditation be sweet to him. Might it be as a sweet-smelling aroma, sacrificial in that way, a sweet-smelling aroma to him as he sees the things that I put my mind to and as he understands, that he, as he knows the things that we think about. You know, um, gosh, I wish, I wish I could have my mind in the right place 24 hours every day. But you know, with the world with all of its distractions and so forth, you know, I, I get distracted away. But you know, but we, we, we can do things with the right mindset, but our, our mind just goes, you know. I mean, you get on the freeway and boom, it's gone. You know, because, well, you know, it's just a lot of distractions on the freeway and in many other places. But might our meditation be sweet to him? And finally, verse 35. This seems to be something that doesn't fit here. All this sweetness, all meditation might be sweet to him and maybe sinners be consumed from the earth. I mean, it's like a kind of a sharp jump to the opposite side here of the scale, right? Uh, and the wicked be no more. A and yet there's something just and right in that. And, well, this is going to take place. We, we made mention of Revelation already. And we made mention of the first few chapters of Revelation and, and, and toward the end. But, you know, there in those middle chapters, in chapters 6 through 18, God is going to be pouring out his wrath upon the earth that rejected Christ. And really, it's just a fulfillment of this prayer. You know, those who don't bow the knee to Christ will be destroyed. Now, their bodies will be destroyed. Their soul will not. And, 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 and this is one of the horrible things about those chapters there that have to do with, uh, you know, the resurrection of the dead and them receiving a body that is fitted for heaven, which was always God's purpose for them, as we will. But it's fitted for eternity, cannot be destroyed. And they'll be cast into that lake of fire without the possibility of ever being destroyed. Every surface area of their flesh, every nerve still intact to feel the horror of eternal fire. That's an awful thing an awful thing. And we don't like to think about it. We don't want to talk about it, but it's real. And that should give us a sense of urgency in sharing the truth of God and his love for all of mankind with those around us. Because that is going to take place. So this is a prayer that's going to be answered. It is. Romans chapter 1, verses 18 to 23. Look at this. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven 
against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even as eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Hence, Psalm 104 is all about that. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thought, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. And here we see the Apostle Paul referring to the wrath of God against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Those who would speak against Psalm 104 and the truth that, that Romans 1 is written about in terms of God manifesting himself through creation. We see him reflected in what has been made. And so denying God, a person is, is you know, is, is without excuse in denying God because he's made, he's made manifest there. And this idea of, of uh, people suppressing the truth, you know, every time someone... Um, espouses the evolution theory and speaks of it as truth, as science, is suppressing the truth of God and fits into this category. They're not acknowledging the reality that God created the heavens and the earth. For our pleasure, he created them. You know, and it, it is something that it is so real that's out there. 1 Timothy 4.1 says, now the, excuse me, now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. You know, um, evolution as science is one of those doctrines of demons, isn't it? It is inspired by demons perhaps by Satan himself. And so the, these are truths, you know, that, that, that we have to deal with in the world that we live in. And you know what, guys? Um, professing to be wise, they became fools, describes those. Others who profess other things that is simply foolishness not truth. But that phrase there in Romans 1, professing to be wise, they became fools, it really, it does describe most professors in our nation's university system. As they deny God in their classrooms, deny God in the things that they teach. Professing to be wise, they became fools. But in, in resisting truth and turning their back on God and denying his existence, 
that's what takes place. But we, we believe what we read in Psalm 104. We believe what we read in Genesis chapter 1. And God is honored and glorified through the things that he created. We see him. We go out in creation and we see the beauty of the mountains, you know, the, the wonder of the oceans, the waves coming in and it stops at a designated place and goes back, comes in again, same thing. Now, of course, there'll be high tide with the full moon and all those kinds of things, but even that, that's designed by God. It's got its stopping place. And it, the problem is not with God when high tide and storms destroy houses that are built on the beach. It's with men who just want to live in a place that's dangerous. You know what I mean? So these things. But we, along with David, finish this psalm crying out, Bless the Lord, O my soul. Praise the Lord. You know, I love to see the, the beauty of creation. You know, um, in various ways, various places that he has created. And might we never stop enjoying the beauty of what he has made. And Father, help us, be with us, lead and guide us, we pray. Lord, go before us as we even close this service tonight as we were going to sing one last praise song to you and, and then we'll be dismissed. I, praise that, I pray that we, pray that, that we sing this song of praise um, from the depths of our being as we acknowledge that you are our creator, you are God, you alone made the things around us, you made the heavens and the earth, everything that is here, everything that is out within the universe, to the furthest points of the universe, whatever it may be that we talked a bit about last week. Lord, thank you for the reality of that. Thank you that you, that that you um, declare your glory and your majesty to those things you've created. And thank you that we can enjoy them and that we can thank you and praise you and, 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 and be in, in, in a sense of wonder and awe as we view them. Thank you, Lord, for your love. Be with us now, Lord. Go with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's all stand together, guys. Nat is going to sing, uh, is going to lead us in one last song as you dismiss us. And Nat, great to have you with us tonight. So good to see you when you're able to come back and worship with us and lead us in worship. Um, he's going to lead you in a last song, then dismiss you. You guys have a great evening. God bless you, and we'll see you next time we're together. <laughs>